0: Welcome to another edition of the Dave Pash Podcast. I'm your host ESPN and Arizona Cardinals announcer Dave Pash. Speaking of announcers, today we have on the legend Al McCoy in his 50th year as the voice of the Phoenix Suns, the longest run with an NBA team.
1: Marley comes up with a steal to Kevin Johnson to Barkley. Barkley goes in for the wham, bam,
0: slam. Al previously has won the Kurt Gowdy Media Award from the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame The media center at the Suns Arena is named after Al, and Al is also in the Arizona Sports Hall of Fame. Today, we talk a number of things broadcasting, his love for the NBA and the Suns, how he came up with his catchphrase, Shazam, how he still has the energy and the passion to do this at age 88, how Al keeps in shape, what his diet is like to do his job, some of Al's favorite places to call games and favorite cities to go, and also some of his favorite moments over his 50 years of calling games. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals and by Gila River Hotels and Casinos. Sign up for BetMGM today using code CARDS1000 and get your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. New customer offer, paid in free bets, visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 and over, Arizona only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Here he is, the legend, Al McCoy. Al, I just worked with Hall of Famer Hubie Brown this past Saturday. Hubie is in his 50th year in the NBA, like you. And I I am amazed at his energy and how sharp he is. And when I listen to you, Al, I I hear the same Al McCoy that I heard when I got here 20 years ago. And I've talked to people that have been here uh, since you started calling games. and, And they tell me the same thing. It's still the same Al McCoy. So I'm curious, man. How do you do it? How do you have the same energy and stay so sharp doing it as long as you have? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. And
1: obviously, a a lot of people ask me that question. And I guess maybe Hubie and I might have the same answer. Uh, We loved uh, basketball uh, from the first time we picked up or saw a ball or he coached it or played it. And uh, I think we still have that compassion. For the game, uh, I know through the years, as we all might experience, some days are better than others. But you know that old saying: when you get to the ballpark, it's just the game that matters. And uh, it seems as if, and I guess maybe I'm blessed in that uh, area, that when I get to the arena, uh, the things that might have been a problem that day uh, seem to disappear when the ball's thrown up and the game starts. So. <laughs> Other than that, uh, uh, it, it's hard to say. Maybe uh, a good uh, a bringing up in the Midwest uh, uh, and
0: I'm raised on a farm. Who who knows? But uh, I've been blessed. No question about that. Is there anything you do, Al, to stay as healthy as you are at 88? Do you, is there anything you avoid? Uh, do you have like a routine on game day or anything that you do specifically to stay as healthy as you are?
1: Well, I've always felt this way that uh, as a broadcaster and as an announcer, uh, we have to take care of our health just as much as if we were uh, playing out on the court uh, because we have to be uh, mentally and physically ready uh, when the game starts. And I think I've always been uh, concerned about uh, my diet, uh, about getting rest, uh, and about being uh, ready for the game. So uh, I think my philosophy has always been that uh, you have to prepare yourself just as if you were actually playing the game. Uh, I've always told young broadcasters, if there were two of the most important uh, phrases for me as a broadcaster, uh, one would be preparation and the other would be concentration. You have to be prepared for the game and you have to have that ability to concentrate on the game, Obviously, uh, we can't be thinking about where we're going to have dinner afterwards uh, while we're doing the game, particularly in a game as fast paced as uh, as basketball is. So I've always said uh, preparation and concentration, very important. And the fact that uh, you have to take care of yourself
0: physically and mentally, uh, just as if you were a player, no question about it. Can you talk to my Cardinals broadcast partner, Ron Wolfley, about having a better <laughs> diet? Because Wolf eats hey. the worst of anybody I've ever worked with.
1: <laughs> well,
0: that's the Wolf,
1: and he can get by with anything. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's tremendous, no question about it. But, and I think as I've gotten older, uh, that uh, my, uh, my food and diet requirements have changed. Obviously, uh, uh, I don't uh, partake uh, as much as I did when I was uh, 21 years of age. And, uh, and I think that's a factor also. It
0: is, at least for me. So people laugh at me and mock me, Al, because I won't have dairy. I'm like, maybe I'll have dairy in the off-season, pizza, cheese, you know, but not, not in season. Uh, are, you, are you a dairy guy, or is that something you stay away from? No milk products for me. I mean, I will have
1: an occasional uh, cheeseburger that doesn't seem to bother me. Uh, but no milk products. And I have to tell you a little story. At one point in my career, I had a summer announcing job in Chicago. And at the radio station, they in those days, they used to have, uh, every week, they would have announcer auditions. If announcers were coming in for a job, uh, they could come in and audition. Uh, that certainly is uh, years ago. And those of us that were working used to set out in the lobby area. And when uh, an individual was coming in and we knew they were going to be uh, auditioning, we'd say, uh, oh, hey, how about a milkshake? Or do you want some ice cream or something here before you go in? Because uh, I've always felt that uh, milk products uh, have no business being uh, involved with an announcer. And so I have no milk products. I'm with you on that, Dave. Yeah,
0: there we go. All right. Good to know I'm in Club McCoy. Uh, the (laughs) The other thing, Al, I stopped doing about... Ten years ago, because I got scolded by the great Marv Albert. I don't have. I used to eat popcorn. I'd come into his booth sometime to say hello because Marv and I go back uh, some 25 years. When when I was the Syracuse announcer, Uh, he scolded me for having popcorn because he said, "You know, what if a kernel gets stuck in your throat?" So I'm curious, is that something you avoid as well—the popcorn or nuts, anything that can you know possibly get stuck in your in your throat and mess up your vocal cords before you go on air? Well, you probably know one broadcaster that ate more
1: popcorn than any of us, and he was the late, great Bill King. Uh, Bill, I had known going back to our Midwest days, and then uh, he went to the Bay Area and became the most popular play-by-play broadcaster in the San Francisco area with his work on baseball, basketball, and football. Bill King and... The son of a gun ate popcorn during the whole game. I don't know how he did it. I certainly could never do it. But Bill King is the one and only that ate popcorn during the entire game. I never knew how he got by with it.
0: I remember doing a game once with Greg Anthony. I don't know if Greg still does this. Former Nick UNLV guard. He works for TNT some. Uh, Man, he sat there and ate an entire bucket of popcorn during the game. I'd never seen anything like Uh it. I don't know if he still does it. Uh, you know, Al, I'm curious because I remember back when the Cardinals made the Super Bowl and they lost the Super Bowl, how long it took me to recover. Because as you know, you know, I'm doing a lot of ESPN games. And so the Cardinals, they're my team. I mean, I work for the team and, you know, I'm unbiased when I call the games, but they're my team. I get to root for the team. And you kind of live and die with the good moments and the bad moments. And I remember how long it took me to recover after the Super Bowl loss. It hurt for a while. And I'm curious because, I, I'm sure you didn't know when you'd get to call a Suns Finals again. You got there last year. You got so close. How hard was it for you after the Game 6 loss, and are are you over it yet? Well, as, as uh, you know,
1: Dave, it was the third time in my 50 years with the Suns that I had the thrill of calling uh, a final series. Uh, the Suns did it initially against the Celtics again against the Chicago Bulls, and then, of course, against Milwaukee. And uh, I have to be very honest with you. I probably got over it quicker this time than I did the previous two occasions. And I'm going to tell you why. Uh, In recent years, because of a lot of different things, as a broadcaster, you're just not as close to the players and to the team as we were back when the Suns were in the finals on those two previous occasions. A lot of reasons. Uh, One is age. Uh, The players mostly are most younger now, so we don't have that uh, togetherness. And we just don't spend that much time together Uh, uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, Most clubs uh, have declared locker rooms, clubhouses off limits for broadcasters. Uh, sometimes you can't travel the same way with the team. You don't have that togetherness that we had years ago. And, uh, you know, when I came into the NBA with the Suns, you were with the players all the time. You traveled on the planes, the buses, you were in the locker rooms, you went out for hamburgers and beer after the games. But that's, that started to change a number of years ago when we had 19 and 20 year old players coming into the league. Plus the fact that, uh, going back 50 years ago, you had a lot of things to talk about. It's a little more uh, more difficult now with today's players. Uh, I mean, how many Mercedes can you talk about or how many $8 million homes can you discuss? So it, it's, it's a little different. So it, kind of a long answer to your question, I guess, Dave, but even though obviously uh, I want to see the Suns win, Uh, I'm pleased when they do, uh, when they went to the finals, I was excited, but, uh, I got over it a little quicker this time than I had the previous two occasions.
0: Yes. I want to go back to your answer or part of your answer about that. You used to go out, you know, after games with players for a burger or a beer, who, who was the coolest guy, or was there a particular player back in the day that you would go out with all the time after games?
1: Well, we had so many, of course, Dick Van Arsdale was the original son. Uh, I was very close with him. And then when he retired, he worked with me on our broadcast television and radio for 15 years and still is a very close friend. Uh, Dick Van Arsdale, of course, Connie Hawkins, the first real Hall of Famer for the Suns. uh, I was very close with Uh, so many players in that era. Walter Davis. I could just go right down the list. Uh, Neil Walk. uh, And uh, you just had a closer relationship uh, because of the age and because they weren't making multi-millions of dollars per year. And uh, you weren't traveling on charters, you were on commercial planes. So you were staying over after games where uh, today after games, uh, uh, the clubs just get on their private jets and leave. So you just don't have uh, those opportunities to be, uh, to be that close. And, I'll be very frank with you. That's the part of the business that I think I miss more than anything. Obviously, I still enjoy the games. I still enjoy the competition. But I do miss that closeness that we were able to have in those early days with players, with coaches. Uh, as you know, Cotton Fitzsimmons uh, was one of my closest friends. He coached the sons twice. He worked with me on television and radio. Uh, those days are gone. And those are the things that I probably miss the most.
0: I know you're not doing a, a lot of road games. No one is right now with everything that's going on, but I know you specifically have, have cut back on on the travel. When you were traveling regularly, did you have a favorite place to call a game or a favorite stop when you would be in a particular city that you just had to go either for breakfast or a post-game drink?
1: Yes, Chicago. Chicago was always my favorite of the NBA cities. I had spent time there, I had worked there. I grew up in Iowa to so the closeness. I knew all their teams from the Chicago Cubs on down and they have some of the greatest restaurants in the world, so Chicago was always a place that I look forward to spending a few days during the season and,
0: and having an off night, Chicago. Do, do you miss traveling? Would you, know, would you like to, I, I, I gotta imagine, it'd be very difficult to do that in you know, 41 games a year. Um, is that something you miss, you know, being on the road and the travel? And, you know, how, how much longer, Al, do you think you're going to do this? I I like, I look at you and I say, why not just keep going forever? Why stop? <laughs> <laughs> if I were you and you, you still sound great and you're in great health.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting on the road games. Uh, I became concerned several years ago when the league – allowed the arenas to move our broadcast locations to areas where we could not even see the full court. Uh, we couldn't see where the three-point shots were coming from. We were way up high, and uh, I started to get very concerned at that time as to what the, the league was allowing. Uh, they were giving up uh, uh, seats that they wanted the teams to be able to sell and make money, but they were also giving up our broadcast locations. So uh, over the last couple of years, I had decided that uh, I didn't want my career to end when the listeners or the viewers would say, what's wrong with McCoy? Doesn't he know who's shooting these three-pointers or what's going on? So uh, I became uh, a little more disenchanted with doing road games. And then, of course, when this pandemic hit, uh, the club uh, became more concerned about who was going to travel, and when they were going to travel. And of course the whole travel situation changed where uh, you could not be on a team bus. You could not be around players. You could not be around coaches. You could not be on the locker room. And so it almost came to that point uh, why travel. And uh, so that's really the biggest reason that uh, I became disenchanted uh, with games on the road. Uh, It's just, I have to tell you one story. You may be familiar with uh, the name Joe Tate. Joe was the broadcaster in Cleveland for many, many years. Unfortunately, he since his past. But when they started moving these broadcast locations, he was in an arena. And one of the locations he was at to broadcast of the game, you couldn't see the three-point corners. And during the course of the game, he's doing the play-by-play. And he says, there goes the ball thrown into the corner. There's a shot from three-point range. It's good. A three-pointer is good by a player to be named later. <laughs> a great line. Great line.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, look, it's – I know people probably listening aren't as concerned about our comfort, but, yeah, it's, it's hard. Some of the football stadiums are like that where you're in the corner and you can't see. It's hard to see. You need binoculars just to see the players. But you just right. – you get through it and you do the job. Um You know, when that happens, you know, sometimes you're more prone to mistakes. And I think of, you know, one of the biggest mistakes that I had in my career was in the Super Bowl. Uh, James Harrison has the interception of Kurt Warner runs it back for a touchdown. And I couldn't really see. And I saw a two and I thought it was a 22 instead of a 92. The problem was William Gay is who I thought it was. And he's about 100 pounds lighter than James Harrison. Uh, Kurt Warner, who threw that interception, had some fun with me after that. He said, how did you mistake w- J- James Her- William-, William Gay for James Harrison? And I said, well, how did you mistake him for Anquan Bolden? He was here trying to throw up right. Bolden. But anyway, if, do, you ha- do you have anything you look back? Is there like a big mistake that you had that you look back on that you say, man, that's the worst thing I've ever said on radio or television?
1: Well, fortunately, uh, if I have, I was able to slide over it and keep going. Uh, because I was told a long time ago by veteran broadcasters, you never stop. If you make a mistake, you just keep going, because it will take the, the listener a long time to discover whether it was a mistake or not. I do want to mention one thing, and I think you might tend to agree with me, because we both have done uh, radio and television. Uh, right now I'm doing radio, but I did the TV for many, many years. Uh, I think a lot of our league and I include the NBA, the NFL, and baseball for getting the power that radio has. And I have to tell you, uh, this past year, I did 22 playoff games in the NBA, including the finals. I can't even uh, imagine that I would get the response that I got from our radio broadcasts all over the world. Germany, Poland, Japan. I was getting texts and emails from all over the world for people that were listening to our radio broadcasts. And I think our leagues forget the fact that radio is still the media that goes worldwide and uh, they still don't have TV in cars and there's so much commuting and driving people depend on radio. And we forget that in some of these foreign countries, everyone does not have TV. They all have radio, and I have to tell you the response I got the last year from our radio broadcasts was almost unbelievable. It really was, and that was really encouraging to me to try and make our radio coverage even uh, even better than it has been.
0: I don't think there's any question. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, and it always touches me when you know I hear from somebody that doesn't have a television or they don't have a way to be able to watch. So their only choice is radio. Wolf and I actually met somebody who is blind. And the only way he can follow the Arizona Cardinals is to listen to our broadcast. So when we, I
1: have heard, I have not to interrupt you. I have heard from so many sightless people throughout my career that thank God, it is responsible maybe for me keeping doing my broadcasts. Shut-ins, people in hospitals, veterans, and sightless people. You know, it's such a great feeling to realize that just maybe, maybe we can make some of those folks that are suffering as they are have just a little bit more fun, maybe put a smile on their face
0: with our broadcasts. And that's something that radio certainly can do. Absolutely. Do you remember the last time you did football? And I'm curious, Al, is there a sport that you didn't do that you look back and say, man, I would have loved to have tried that?
1: Well, I always thought baseball was going to be uh, uh, what I would do. And of course, when I was growing up, I followed the Chicago Cubs on baseball. Uh, Burt Wilson was their play-by-play broadcaster. He was my idol. And of course, later, Jack Brickhouse and Harry Carey and that whole crew and I initially came to Phoenix to do AAA baseball. And then uh, through the years, I was offered the San Francisco Giants job twice and also, of course, had the opportunity to do the Diamondbacks when they came into the league. Uh, and I always felt it would be baseball. But I loved basketball. I had been fortunate enough to play in high school, so I loved the game. And uh, uh, my my real dream was that if I was able to get into this business and be involved in play-by-play broadcasting, I wanted to be associated with a team, uh, as Vince Scully was with the Dodgers. And as I mentioned, so many of the baseball players were, uh, the baseball announcers were with their teams. And I always wanted to do that. And uh, when I got the opportunity with the Suns, uh, that was the epitome and and everything else kind of turned away. But initially I thought that baseball would be the sport I would be doing. It just turned out to be basketball and uh, it was the right, right decision.
0: You mentioned some legendary names in broadcasting. And I think of some of the people that have taken me under their wing to help me along when I was getting started or even recently. I mean, I've still people in my life that are you know, very involved in terms of feedback or encouragement. Uh, Mike Tarico, Sean McDonough, Bob Costas, those are three people that come to mind who invested in me when I was young and and coming up. Uh, I'm curious, Jack Brickhouse, you mentioned a lot of people in Arizona probably don't know that name, legendary Chicago broadcaster, Harry Carey. Most people know Harry from the Cubs games and being on WGN, which would air games nationally for the most part on cable. Did those guys help you? Is there anybody else that you can think of, Al, that mentored you or took you under his or her wing to kind of help you in your growth? Well, and not really. I'm going to tell you a Bob Costa story in in a minute. But
1: as I said, Burt Wilson was the radio play-by-play for the Cubs when I was growing up in Iowa, and I listened to every game. Harry Carey was in St. Louis. Jack Brickhouse did everything in Chicago. He did the Bears, and then he was the first to do the TV Uh, of the Cubs. So, uh, uh, and Jack Brickhouse through the years tried to hire me many times to come back to Chicago after I had come to Phoenix, but um, just listening to them uh, on a daily basis, I'm sure that I gained a lot from them. And I think uh, Harry Carey used to have so many great lines like, we don't care who wins just so it's the Cubs. (laughs) And he, he would say, and we go to the bottom of the ninth, the Cubs are down by nine, but don't forget, they need 10 to win. <laughs> Go Cubs. Uh, I think I I probably captured some of that enthusiasm. And at one point, they used to call it a Midwest school of announcing. I don't know if they ever did at Syracuse because of Burt Wilson and Earl Gillespie, who was in Milwaukee, and Harry Carey in St. Louis and Brickhouse, uh, because they were so involved in the games themselves. And I think I picked up probably my enthusiasm from that. Now, one Bob Costas story. Bob was a young guy working at KMOX in St. Louis, and CBS had the rights for the NBA at that time, and they decided to do a few regional games, and Bob was selected to do some of the regional games, and one of his first was in Phoenix. And uh, when I came into the arena that night to do the game for us, Bob Costas, who I had never seen, came up to me, introduced himself, and he said, Al McCoy, he said, I've listened to you for years. And he said, I'm so excited about getting a chance to meet you. He said, "Uh, I've just uh, picked up so much of listening to your broadcast. Now, this is Bob Costas. So I said, well, gee, Bob, it's great to see you, so on and so forth. Well, in a matter of a few years, he was on with NBC and in New York. So every time that we would go into New York to play the Knicks, uh, we would go to uh, a little bar restaurant that was kind of a hangout uh, for uh, broadcasters and and writers in New York City. And uh, I would go in uh, with whoever I was working with uh, to have the lunch or dinner or whatever. And it was a hangout for Bob Costas. So whenever I would go in and Bob was there, he would come up to me and say, Al, I don't know if you remember me. I'm Bob Costas. <laughs> Well, sure, I knew Bob Costas, because by now he's with NBC. But it just got to be kind of a joke for me, because every time I would see him, and you know, it might be at the Gardner or it might be at, the, at this restaurant, he would always come up to me with his hand extended and say, Ow, I'm Bob Costas, just wanted to say hi. <laughs> so many years later, uh, the Arizona State University, you know, they give an annual award, the Cronkite Award, to broadcasters. And, uh, I don't know, this is maybe eight, nine, 10 years ago, Bob Costas got that award. And I went to the luncheon and I had not talked to him or seen him, but they had a little private room where you could go in if you were one of the heavy hitters and get an autograph from Bob. So I knew where the room was. So I went in and when I went in, there was a line maybe of 10 or 12 people waiting to, uh, to get up and shake hands and get an autograph with Bob. Well, he spotted me. He saw me in the back of the line and he waved for me to come on. And uh, and when I got up to the top of the line, I just reached my hand out. And I said, excuse me, Bob, I'm Al McCoy. He says, well, I'm Bob Costas. And we both just started to laugh. <laughs> he is one of the most talented broadcasters ever in our business and just a great guy.
0: Oh, absolutely. No, Bob is incredible. And a guy that really cares about the craft of broadcasting in yes. a particular play-by-play. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like I've buried the lead. We're about 25 minutes into this, and I haven't asked you about any of your signature calls. Uh, every Suns fan knows what that is. I don't have one. I've never really, I don't know, I just... But when I got the Cardinals job, I always thought, you know, it's going to be forced if I try to come up with one or I could bounce it off somebody and see if it works or try it in a game. If people like it, then stick with it. I guess my, 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 the one that people know is just the fact that I work with Bill Walton. So it's really about another person as opposed to my call, but everybody knows about Shazam and we hear it multiple times a broadcast. And I believe that I've, read it, and seen you talk about that it came from reading comic books as a kid. So tell us that story, Al, but also I'm curious, when did you when did you start using it on air? Did you try it out at first? Did it take you a while to finally employ that on the air, or was it right from from the get-go when you got the son's job?
1: Well, when uh, I got the son's job, they didn't have the three-point shot. Uh, when it went into effect, as a broadcaster, I looked at it, as like what would be a home run call in baseball because most baseball broadcasters have a call. It might be, it could be, it is, or it's going, going, gone or whatever, you know. So I looked at that point that the three-point shot is not going to be a big factor and it'll be just kind of like maybe a home run that might call the game. So I did think, uh, you know, what could I use? Because I guess I should come up with some type of a home run call that would fit a three-point shot. So uh, I went back when I was growing up on a farm in Iowa. I did read a comic book about Captain Marvel. Now, Captain Marvel was a Superman-type character, but he turned into being Captain Marvel from a little guy named Billy Batson, who was a radio reporter. And when he became Captain Marvel, he said, Shazam! And that was taken from the first letter of Socrates, Hercules, Atlas, Zeus, Achilles, and Mercury. So I thought, you know, that might not be bad because in the comic book, when he said Shazam, it was all kinds of lightning and thunder and excitement. So I said, I think that might be what I should use, thinking that there might be one (laughs) or two a game. And in fact, I I like to tell the story because when the three-point shot went in, One of the great shooters in that time or any time for the Suns was Walter Davis. He took one three-point shot that first year, one. And uh, so anyway, that's where Shazam came from. And uh, it's kind of stuck around a long time. Although I do have to admit, sometimes I might pass over it because uh, we do have a a few Shazams, a few three-pointers in every game Now has become a big, big factor of NBA basketball.
0: Right. Imagine if you were the Warriors broadcaster, you'd, you'd say Shazam, yeah. you've you'd said it over 3,000 times now for Steph Curry. Yeah. Um, do you follow the? I got a couple more. I'll let you go. Do you, do you follow the Cardinals much? I mean, you were here and you know, well into your career with the Suns when the Cardinals moved to Arizona. Have you followed them the entire time? How much of a fan are you?
1: Well, you know, I'm a sports fan, period
0: uh all the sports i love basketball
1: football baseball i'm a great hockey fan you know i did hockey for 5 years uh the old phoenix roadrunners in the western hockey league and i loved loved the sport and uh certainly uh we're not going to go back and forth complimenting one another but you know uh, the tremendous respect i have for you dave and you can do any sport and do it so well and so professionally uh but uh You know, I I love all the sports. I I follow all of them uh, uh, on radio and on
0: TV, whatever that possibility might be. I'm just uh, I'm just a fan, I guess. The the gentleman that I replaced when I got here in 2002, the late Tom Dillon, who was so gracious and kind to me coming in here as a guy at age twenty nine, getting an NFL job when Tom had been in this market for so long and had done the Cardinals for so long. How well did you know Tom and what was your relationship like with him?
1: Oh, we were very good friends. Tom, you know, came from Texas into uh, the arena, so to speak here in Phoenix. And he was basically, first of all, uh, did the sports on TV uh, and football was really his game. He did, you know, like he did all the ASU sports at one time, but his love and, and his best work I always thought was on football and he was an excellent broadcaster, great guy, excellent broadcaster. And we were, We're very good friends.
0: All right. Last one. Have you ever been yelled at by a player or a coach for something you said? I've had interactions with coaches or GMs. Uh, I can think of one GM in particular in the NBA. I won't say his name, but he's still a GM Uh, that didn't like something that was said one time. Mm. and. Uh, and, and sometimes there are players who will say things occasionally. They hear something or they won't talk to you anymore, or when they do talk to you, uh, some are afraid to bring it up. Some will bring it up. I don't know. Have you had, have you had anything like that in your tenure doing the Suns? You know, I guess I probably have been fortunate uh,
1: because I've been around so long, and I think one of the reasons early uh, for many, many years uh, when the Suns would go to training camp uh, I would have a session with them when I would talk with all the players and the coaches and talk about their responsibilities to the media. Now, that, that's gone by the wayside because the league takes that all over. And I would tell the players at that time, I said, now there are going to be times during a game broadcast that I may be critical of the way you're playing that particular night. And I want you to be able to accept that, whether it's for me or for somebody else. I will tell you, I will never embarrass you personally, or I will never refer to anything personally concerning you. But if it's concerning the way you're playing the game, then you can expect it to be analyzed perhaps. But I said, I would never say anything that would uh, be something concerning you as a a person. And I think I, I got respect from the players initially uh in recent years as i said i just don't have the closeness with the players that much there's probably only two players on the sun's team right now that i really feel close to Devin booker of course would be number one because he's been here for five six years and we know each other and he's such a terrific young guy and deandre ayton deandre ayton uh, knows me because he spent time in the and followed the Suns on our broadcast uh but uh, i've been fortunate And I think one of the reasons is coaches and players alike knew that I would always be fair, that uh, they're not above criticism. They're not, if they're having a bad game and their shots aren't going, I can't lie about that, but I never would attack them on a personal basis. And I think they respected me for that. And, and that has been my approach.
0: Al, you, you are, and always will be the greatest broadcaster in the history of the city. And I'm so thankful for you spending some time with me doing this podcast. I hope you do this for 20 more years. I would love to see <laughs> it out. I'm amazed still, man. I mean this. Every time I listen to you, how descriptive you are, how energetic you are, every game you treat the same. And I always feel like that's the mark of a great broadcaster. It can be the first game of the season, a playoff game, or game number 50 in the middle of a long NBA season. And you sound just as excited to be there as you ever have. Well, I can be
1: honest, Dave, uh, uh, coming from you, that means a great deal to me. Uh, You're such a professional person, and I admire everything you do. It's just, uh, I've been a very, very fortunate guy. And I'll just tell you one story in closing. As you know, uh, I'm a piano player, and I played professionally for a number of years, and I love jazz. And my favorite piano player is Errol Garner. And uh, a year ago, I was on my way to the arena, and uh, I was listening to a CD with Errol Garner in my car, and I started to think, I said, you know, it's kind of interesting. Here I am, I'm going down to the arena, I'm going to broadcast a basketball game that I love, and I love doing, and I love uh, communicating and talking all about the game, and I'm listening to my favorite uh, piano player, Earl Garner. And I thought for a moment, and I said, you know what? it's been a pretty good ride. And you know what? It's been a pretty good ride, Dave.
0: Well, hey, if this broadcast thing doesn't work out for you, maybe, uh, maybe we'll hear smooth jazz with Al McCoy uh, on, <laughs> on another radio station or something. But I, I appreciate it, Al, so much, man. I look forward to seeing you here. Uh, I, I've got some Suns games in January and February, so look forward to, to seeing you then.
1: Sounds great. I'll look forward to it, Dave.
0: Always a pleasure to visit with you. Happy holidays. You too. You're the best, Al. Thanks well maybe you had heard that story before but that's the first time i've heard al go that in depth on how he came up with shazam on a three-pointer it came from reading comic books as a kid going back to captain marvel i had no idea that each letter stood for something (laughs) the acronym s-h-a-z-a-m and how he didn't have to use that moniker very often when he started doing games in the nba because there wasn't a three-point line now he's got to use it all the time but it was great to catch up with i really appreciate his time he was actually going to do a suns game and he spent some 30 minutes with us talking about his favorite moments broadcasting games for the suns had a great story about bob costas talked about how he loves chicago that's his favorite road trip and it's interesting that in all his years of broadcasting he can't remember a mistake that really got him and that's saying something because we've all had some bad moments on the air But I'm not surprised, given how professional Al is. He is the consummate professional and incredible gentleman as well. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Gila River Hotels and Casinos. We didn't talk a lot about the Cardinals. They're not playing too well right now, but still enough time to turn things around. We'll see if they can do it on Sunday in Dallas. We'll talk to you then. Thanks again for listening to the Dave Pash Podcast.